Her heart belongs to Hope Church, um, where she leads discipleship as well as Praxis, a full-time ministry residency program for young leaders. She holds a degree from the College of William and Mary and Gordon-Conwall Theological Seminary. That's a mouthful, sorry. (laughs) She loves creating a space for ministry and spiritual formation in the everyday rhythms of life with three children, two pups, one husband, and a whole community of 20-somethings who are usually around raiding her fridge. Please help me welcome to the stage, Nicole Eunice. Good morning, ladies. We have gotten to work. Y'all, we're not messing around. We're like, we don't have all day. We just have this morning, so we're just going to worship right away. I loved it. I'm so glad to be with you guys this morning. It's just my joy and my honor. Um, And I am mostly, all those other things aside, I'm mostly just a mom and a woman like you who's trying to figure out how to do life that comes from this place that we're in right now and goes out into everyday reality. You know what I'm talking about? So we've got a verse today that's kind of our promise for this morning. It's from Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Have you guys heard that verse before? It sounds good, doesn't it? You're like, yes. For we are God's workmanship, created in, advance, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And you know what? I think when we hear that here... In this place, in this room, we're like, yes, right after worship. You know, you want to put the whole worship band in the back of your minivan, take them with you. So when you feel frustrated, they can say, I see you move. You're like, yes. You know, but, but the reality is, the reality is, right, these things do sound good right here in these seats. And you guys are here because whether you're, you're far from God, whether your friend dragged you here, whether you're just right in the middle of it and you just love worship and you love the encouragement, wherever you are on that spectrum, All of us have a little bit of faith to believe that something can be different. And I think that faith increases when we step into this room. We sing worship songs. We're surrounded by women who are doing the same thing. But then we have to go back to reality. We have to go back to our everyday lives. And I just love to talk and to teach in the gap between what we really want to believe to be true and how we actually live it out in our everyday life. And I think there's two particular places where this can come true for all of us. And the first one is this, laundry. I want to talk to you, thank you, I want to talk to you for a moment about laundry. I was praying for you over here. The Lord just reminded me that in the Garden of Eden, they were naked and unashamed, which means there was no laundry. There was no laundry in the Garden of Eden. I truly believe it is the curse that we are under. It is the groaning of creation that you do laundry over and over again. And it is a relentless cycle and it's never, it's ne- none of it's ever clean folded and put away at the same time, is it? And right when it's clean folded and put away at the same time, suddenly a mountain appears again. You're like, where did these clothes come from? Who, are we, who is wearing these clothes? How are they wearing so many of the clothes? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been there. You used to be there. You're there right now. You got babies. You got little ones. doesn't even matter if your kids are grown. Somehow it just keeps appearing. It's the laundry. There is no laundry in heaven. I just want you to know that. Amen, amen. I, I tell you guys, I literally just thought about that five minutes ago. I just felt like God wanted me to tell you. Somebody need to hear that this morning. You're welcome. Uh, this is the other place that I feel like we live out this reality, the reality between the idea that I might be a masterpiece of God, truly take that in, that you 
God has created you perfectly the way he wanted you to be, that you're the work of his hands, your handiwork, his masterpiece. Those words that we hear in church that don't normally apply in everyday life. If, if you believe that to be true, here's the other place where I think it's hard. I like to call it vacation, expectation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's February. All of us are thinking ahead. It doesn't matter if it's one day at the beach, one day away. Maybe you even get to take a week with your family, whatever it is. Think about what happens in a vacation. What happens for women? Most of us are already running a little bit on empty before we get to that vacation. And three weeks before, we start the process. We start the lists. We start the plans. We try to get the laundry clean. We try to get the bags packed. We try to make sure everybody has all documents that they need. If you're flying on a plane, you try to make sure that nobody has anything in their carry-on that's going to be contraband. You say, everybody put shoes on that you could take off quickly, please. Everybody get in the car and make sure that you went to the bathroom first. Nobody needs another snack. Did everybody have enough water? You go and you go and you go, yeah? And what is it that we're trying to do there? We are trying to create a space for peace. We're trying to create a space where we can reconnect with our families and our loved ones or our friends. Perhaps if you're single or you do it with friends or whatever, maybe you're trying to create a space where you can be refreshed, right? We have these hopes for what can be. And then we actually live into the reality of it and we get all that stuff going and we start to feel a little bit more and a little bit more frazzled. I'm not speaking from experience or anything, but I will tell you, this summer our family took a big trip. And I was like, this trip is going to be awesome because, you know, I'm scared a lot. I think like all of us are. I get a little bit scared. Am I going to be able to connect with my kids? Have we spent enough time together? Are we raising them right? How are things really going with me and my husband? It's feeling a little bit distant. When will we feel that love again? How do we get that spark back? Maybe I'm thinking, man, God, I really want to connect with you. I want to feel like you're here. I want to, I want to be the woman that you want me to be. And I've got all that wrapped up. And we're going to take this trip. And we're going to love each other. We're going to do devotions at night. We're going to sing songs. None of us can even sing. Nobody can even play a guitar or anything. But in my mind, I'm just imagining this reality. So on day five of this trip in May, we were moving from one house to the next. We were kind of making a change. So everybody's got to gather their stuff up. And all of a sudden, the weight of the expectation of the things that I wanted to create as a woman who just loves my family and loves my kids, loves my husband, and I want to experience these things, coming into it with the tank on empty already, all of these expectations, and I just break. And I'm just like, why can't you keep your clothes in your suitcase? Why are you walking up the stairs so loud? And I come out, and my, this is my boys. My two boys and my husband are sitting on the couch looking at me. And I'm like, why are you looking at me? I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. When you start shouting, I'm not crazy, like, it's, it's just, there's something about that. You need to be like, wait, take note. That's crazy. <laughs> That is what vacation expectation is. So to me, laundry is that sort of like humbling, relentless, I just keep doing and doing. And I'm not talking about your laundry. I'm talking about those places in your life that feel that way. They just keep persisting. Why do I keep struggling in this way? Why can't I seem to make things better? How come I'm so confused about these things? How come I experience so much anxiousness? It's just a cycle. It's not the laundry. Then there's the vacation expectation. How come I have these feelings in my heart that I want things to be different? How come I have this faith and I, and I hope for it to be more, but somehow it's not? That's the vacation expectation. Y'all hearing me? Am I speaking to anyone this morning? Do you know that feeling where you're like, what, how do I live in the reality? How can I believe these promises of God? How can I actually feel these promises of God? 
Well, I'm fascinated by the gap between those two things, between the gap of like what's happening in here, what's happening in here and sort of how I'm living it out, and then what the Bible actually says about the way I can experience life. Spent my life as a counselor before I was a pastor, so I spent a lot of time talking to women. But most of what I did was just listened and thought, why and how can we live in that gap? So this morning I want to talk to you about a thing that I think is very real in all of us, and it was what was going on with me in that vacation expectation, which is fear. I think what we are all really struggling with at the end of it is fear. And we're sort of smiling and like, yes, Jesus loves me and he can move the mountain. But behind our back, we're clenching our fist. We're holding on tight. We're feeling like I'm just not sure if I'm enough. And I'm feeling these shameful feelings and I feel anxious and I'm not sure. And what will my future hold? And is God going to come through? Is he going to provide in these places? Am I ever going to feel a real sense of joy? Does God really need me? Really? Because I come to these things and it says that God needs me, but my life feels really small. And my life feels really hidden. It just doesn't feel very purposeful or important. And we bring all these fears thinking I'm never really going to be enough. But here's the good news. I actually believe that Jesus brings courage. And he brings it for your life. You see, fear is like this bad roommate. Do you all ever have a roommate? Anybody have a roommate in life? I'm not talking about your husband. You can't raise your hand for him. (laughs) Okay, you got a roommate. You ever have a roommate get a boyfriend and you're like, I didn't, I didn't sign up to live with you, boyfriend. You know that feeling, sort of like somebody who comes in your life. I think of fear that way in my heart. It's like an unwelcome roommate. Like, I never invited you. Why are you always here? Why are you waking me up at night? Why are you messing everything up? See, what fear does is it crowds out joy and peace and trust. As fear grows in us, whatever that fear may be, It just crowds out that other stuff. It's like we never invited him in, but he's there. But here's the thing that fear does more than anything else. Fear makes you think that your life is too small to need the kind of courage that Jesus gives. Fear makes you think that your life is too small for what Jesus is actually given. You're thinking, no, no, that's for people who do big things. People need courage when they do big things. I'm just going to the grocery store today. Fear makes you think that what you're dealing with is too small for God's design, for this big, epic book and this incredible, great story that you're invited to be in. So what I want us to do this morning is to actually explore the idea that your life, the life you're living right now, actually requires incredible courage. Not the life you want, the life you're in right now, the life that you'll go home to today at noon that you actually need courage for that life because of something that's going on deep in your soul. And the reason I believe this is because I think that the word courage is a gospel word. And what I mean by gospel, it's just good, it's the good news of who Jesus is. There's this little word in scripture that I just became fascinated with and began to explore. The Greek word is tharseo. And it's the place in in scripture where Jesus says, take heart. Sometimes it's translated, be encouraged. Sometimes it's translated, take courage. But the word is always the same. The word is tharseo. That's the Greek word. And the word itself means take heart. It's only used five places in scripture. Four of those places are in the gospel. Four of those places is when Jesus says them. So this morning I want to look at those stories with you and I want to see what he's actually giving when he says I'm going to give you courage. So we're going to be in Matthew 
If you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, you can just listen if you like. Some of these stories, I'm sure, will be familiar to some of you. Wow, I was so excited I didn't even open my notes. Maybe I'll get ready now for our, for our teaching, okay? All right. <laughs> Don't you love it when pastors do that? You're like, you didn't even start yet? You've been talking for 12 minutes. Okay, I started. Here we go. All right. We're going to look at these stories about Jesus' courage. I love this definition from Plato. Courage is the ability to persevere through all emotions. Does that make it more relevant for your life? Anybody here need a little more courage to just deal with your emotions? <laughs> courage is the ability to persevere through all emotions. Now let's look at what Jesus has to say about courage. The first place we're going to be is in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 1, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. All right, what is going on in this story? I know you've heard it before. This is a Sunday school story. This is a flannel board. Anybody been to VBS, Awanas, flannel boards? Am I speaking? See, I grew up, I was a spiritual mutt. I went to like 40 churches as a kid. I've been to every kind of church. So I can just make a church reference no matter where. You, anybody, if you've been, you were lapsed Catholic, I've got something for you later. Don't worry. I've got something for everyone in the room. So this is the story. This is the, this is the children's story. But listen to this story. Here comes Jesus. He's coming in. He's teaching. The room is crowded and it's full. And this paralyzed man is brought by the faith of his own friends who say, today's your day. You're getting in front of Jesus. Now, I love this story because I'm thinking, we have no idea if the paralyzed man actually wanted to be there. He had no ability or power to do anything except let his friends pick him up. He could be like, hey, don't pick me up. I don't believe. It didn't matter. They were like, today's the day. We're going. So they bring this paralyzed man. If that room was really full, the way it would work is there would be maybe some steps up to the roof, and they just barge on in. It's just bold and rude. You're going to see this a lot in Scripture. When people are serious about Jesus, they don't care that much about what other people think. They're trying to get to him. And so these friends bring this paralyzed man, and they lay him down in front of Jesus. Can you imagine your need being any more evident than if you were paralyzed laying on the ground while everybody's standing over you? The need is so obvious, is it not? Clearly, there's a plan. Clearly, there's an ask of what these friends are asking of Jesus. But what does he say? He says, hey, take heart. Be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. There could not be more of an evident mountain than the one in front. But Jesus says, no, something's more important than that. You have a need deeper than that need. And he, he actually works in courage for that one. The first place that Jesus imparts courage is to take heart that our sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus is always going to deal with the most important things first. You think of something in your life feels really important. And you're singing that song, I see you move, move that mountain. And I believe that Jesus is saying, I've got a different mountain to move first. The first mountain I want to move is in your own heart. He says to this man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Meaning... What I am doing on the inside is far more important than anything I can do on the outside. What is inside of you, your soul, the eternal part of you, is the most important thing that I can heal. In fact, it is the thing. Because when Jesus comes into our life, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, it says, Scripture says you're saved, which means your soul moves over from the temporal world to the eternal world. Your soul is actually completely secure with Christ. You are actually in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, for you are God's masterpiece created in Christ. 
You see, the most important thing that Jesus can do for you is to give you the courage to believe that your sins are forgiven and that your soul has crossed over to eternal life right here, right now, that we are already living in the kingdom of heaven. When your soul is secure, when your soul is secure, you can be paralyzed, you can be laid out, and yet the most important part of you is alive and whole and flourishing. But this is brand new news. Let's go back to where we were at the time. These people are like, who is this man? Especially the religious leaders didn't like that at all. They were thinking in their head, who is this man? Says he can forgive sin. And then Jesus, knowing what's in their heart, turns to them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the eyes of Jesus Christ, son of God, fully human, fully divine, swiveling to you and saying, I know what's in your heart. (laughs) Can you imagine that moment where they're like, oh, Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. He says, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. You see, Jesus deals with the most important thing, but he also deals with the need. He does deal with the need. And in this particular case, he, for, he heals. He heals completely and fully. You see, take courage, your sins are forgiven. I think Jesus is trying to build a foundation of courage in our soul that often has very little to do with the things we're praying about and the things we're worried about and has everything to do with what our soul actually needs. The courage to believe that I live in the freedom of forgiven sin. The next time Jesus uses this word tharseo is coming right up again in Matthew 9. And right in the middle of this story, we, we just get this little interruption, and that's a really important part of it because it truly was an interruption. I'm in Matthew 9, verse 18. This synagogue leader, so this would be a religious leader, came to Jesus, expressed faith, and said, can you come to my daughter? She's sick. Um, and he did. So he was walking with him. And as he's walking along, it says, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Other places in scripture it says he knew the power had gone out of himself. And he turned to her and said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Second time Jesus gives courage is the faith needed to believe in healing. This woman who had been bleeding, this is not what we're here to talk about, although we could forever, but what you need to know about that is, is we're women who understand what that would be like. But we're women who live in the modern day. Just Thursday, I was at my women's ministry um, at home at Hope Church, and we were talking with a woman who supports the prison system, and we were talking about how when women go to prison, they are not given any uh, additional sort of um, sanitary items, anything to deal with their monthly period. And they may get kind of dollar store issued pads, but that's all they have. And this ministry specifically exists to give women the dignity of good underwear and something to deal with their period. And we're in 2018. Back then, imagine what that would be like. Not only was she ill, not only did she have an actual problem that could not be dealt with, but she was also unclean. To be unclean means that I can't go to the temple, I can't go to a place of worship. I can't be around people because if I'm around leaders and they're near me, they become unclean. And so when she does this thing with Jesus, this is a desperate act of courage. She's actually going against the religious system. She knows, if he knows that he's touched her, that he too will be unclean because he's a religious leader. And so she thinks, oh, if I could just, if I could just get a hold of him, can you imagine what it would be like to have a problem that you cannot have solved, that you've been waiting and waiting, and there's no place for healing. And you are so desperate, yet so courageous, that you are willing to reach out 
and grab this man's, touch his cloak. And he knows, he knows. And Jesus turns to her and says, take heart, be encouraged, be of good cheer, take courage. Your faith has healed you. You know, sometimes faith comes from long, long periods of waiting. She waited a long time for that moment. I think faith often comes in the perseverance, in the waiting. And you know what? Jesus makes us clean. He can't be made unclean because he's the one who cleans and heals and restores. And so she's encouraged her faith has healed her. Next story, we skip ahead to Matthew 14. And this is a story with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus has made his disciples go out into a boat. They're out in a boat. It's the middle of the night. And Jesus has been praying on the, on the shore and begins to walk out to them. And so he just does what Jesus does, which is walk out in the water. Walks right out on the water. This is verse 24. And it says that the boat was already out there. It was buffeted by the waves. There was wind. There was waves. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. There it is again, Tharseo. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. See, Jesus offers the courage to believe our sins are forgiven. Jesus offers the courage to believe that our faith will heal us. And Jesus offers his presence to us. It says that Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. That idea of I, I'm here with you, I am walking with you, I am close to you. You know, Jesus offered his presence before Peter got out of the boat, for those of you who know where this story goes. The next thing Peter says is, can I come out to you? And he comes out walking, and as the wind and the waves begin to hit him, he, he begins to doubt, and he begins to sink, and it says, immediately Jesus reached out and brought his hand. Immediately Jesus identified himself. Do you see how present our God is? An opportunity to be in a relationship with Jesus is an immediate relationship. He is close, and he is present in your life. He's actually offering the opportunity for you, back in your reality, back with your laundry, or whatever your laundry stands for, Back with your vacation expectation or whatever that stands for. Jesus says, I am an immediate presence. I am right there with you. I love that it says he immediately pulled Peter up and then he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, we read, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? It can feel like he's chastising him or he's condemning him. But no, he saved him first. He saved him first. He pulled him up. This is how close Jesus was when they were talking. Like, hey, buddy, I'm here with you. I've got you. See, Jesus offers us courage in the presence of him, in the ability to actually be engaged with him on that level, that you walk out of this door and you walk out with Christ. That when we talk about being a masterpiece, being made in Christ, he's, he's in and with you, present in those everyday realities. That's the courage he offers. The final place that he uses this word in the Gospels is in John. John 16, this is, where the, this is a long discourse that, that Jesus is giving, and it's important. It's sort of like Jesus knew it was his last words. You ever been with, like, your mom before you went off to college or before you went to camp or, I don't know, today? I saw so many moms and daughters over here. And you get this sense when you want to give those last words that are important. And Jesus is with his friends, the disciples, and he wants to give out those, those last words 
This is an incredible part of scripture if you haven't read John 15, 16, 17. There's this place in there where Jesus is saying, these are the words that I really want you to know. And in the midst of giving those words about the spirit being with us and about a place that God's preparing for us, he says, in this world you will have trouble, John 16, 33. But take heart, there's that word again, I have overcome the world. Tharseo is used for the fourth time there. And Jesus makes two promises in that verse. First promise is this one. Hey, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have it. So helpful. I think sometimes we're trying to make the world perfect. I'm trying to live in my vacation reality all the time, constantly disappointed in it. And Jesus is looking at me saying, guys, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be trouble outside of you. It's going to be trouble inside of you. It's going to be trouble around you. It's going to be trouble directed at you. It's going to be trouble that you create for others. It's called sin. (laughs) We're all going to live in it. Laundry, the next time you do it, remember, laundry is a sign that sin is real. We are not in the garden anymore. Every time I do laundry, this is the brokenness of the world right here, the dirty, dirty world. (laughs) I I really believe that. Jesus is like, hey, stop trying to make it perfect. Because guess what? The first promise of that verse is in this world you will have trouble. But the second promise is this, but take heart, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. You see, in Christ, we have the courage to live victoriously, to live with our heads held high, to live differently. And I love the order of these as well because I believe that there is an order of priority there. That Jesus says, I'm gonna give you the courage for forgiven sin. I'm gonna give you the courage for healing, the most important healing that happens inside of us. I'm going to give you the courage to know that I walk with you and that I am present with you and that I'm in your life. And guess what? When trouble comes, I'm going to give you the courage to be victorious over it. You know what? We're praying for our worries. And I think Jesus is saying, I've got a different mountain to move with you ladies today. And the mountain I want to move is in the foundational understanding of who I am and what I've done for you and how I want to work in your life. We are never past that message some of you guys have been in church since you were babies. You don't even know when you became a Christian. You just, you just were by osmosis. It just was like you were in your mother's womb already a Christian. You know what I'm talking about? You're like John the Baptist. Good for you. Guess what? The gospel is for you. Grace is for you. There is something in us that somehow it becomes distant and it becomes sort of this dim flame inside. And we're like, remember when I used to feel Jesus close to me? Remember when I used to need grace, guess what? That day is today. You need courage to believe what Jesus has done for us. We need courage to believe that when he says that your sins are as far as the east is from the west, I've removed your transgressions from you, that is true for us. We're good at telling other people that. But when it comes to the things that we're experiencing inside, when we're feeling those worries, when we're feeling distant from God, when we know that we've just gone our own way, we've strayed, we've taken our eye off the ball, we've gotten in somebody else's lane, when we're feeling fearful about our families, about our marriages, about our future, about why we matter, about why we don't matter, whatever you're feeling, that we have strayed from his grace and he invites us back. He says, courage, courage. Let me give you courage to believe that you are that important to me. You know how that takes courage? Do you know it takes courage to look at your unwelcome roommate fear and say, I'm not talking to you, and I'm not listening to you. You're trying to make me think that I'm smaller than I am. When Jesus is saying, you're, you're much more important than that. You're so important to me. 
He imparts courage for the lives that we're actually living. Each of these people in these stories came to Jesus with a need, and he answers it with a different need. You realize that? Every single one came with a need. He actually said he, he, he did meet their needs, but he offered something different first. First, he said to the woman, it's your faith. First, he said to Peter, it's me. First, he said to the paralytic, it's your sins that are forgiven. He gave a different need first. So to ask you this morning, since we're not messing around, you women are efficient and you got places to be. I would ask you this morning, what is it that you need to know from Jesus this morning? What do you need to know? Do you need to know that your sins are forgiven? Do you need to know that our faith heals us? You may not be experiencing physical healing this morning, but that Jesus wants to do a spiritual healing in your life, that there might be places that you've sort of stitched up yourself that are actually haven't been put back together very well. You know, we don't ever grow out of our need for healing. I love to say this. I'm like, you can be the most activated, passionate woman of God, and you never outgrow your need for healing because we continue to live in a world where John 16:33 is true. In this world, you will have trouble. And I sense in this room even that we are a fearful crowd. We're scared of the world because the world is a scary place. There's a lot of scary world stuff out there. And we may feel small and powerless. And God says, I want to heal you from that. I want you to know the courage that I can give you. That you can hold your head up high because I'm with you. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who needs to say that to themselves this morning? Sometimes I just say it to myself. I'm like, you know what? This is a hard day in the just normal stuff. But he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. That is a promise. And that is true. You see, you do need Jesus' courage because Jesus told you that you did. And Jesus is our Lord. So if he tells us our lives need courage, then our lives need courage. And we can go back to our lives and say, where do I need courage for this life? Do I need courage to persevere? Do I need courage to be diligent and joyful in the work set before me? Do I need courage to actually believe that where God has placed me is important and that I have deep and important influence in people's lives? All of us have something this morning that we need to know. Something that we need to know. But I also believe that we all have something we need to do. Something we need to do about it. And I'm not saying pray more. That's not what this is about. We're going to talk in the next session a little bit more about how we receive God's mercy. But I just mean there's an action there. There's an action. All these people in these stories, they took action. They did something. And along the way, they experienced Jesus, who brought them the courage they needed for the life that they were living. Ephesians 2.10 says we're being created in Christ for a very specific work. He loves us, but he loves us into a new and different way to live. Do you know when Jesus gets a hold of your life, he actually changes like how you feel about things and how you act about things. Has anyone ever experienced this? I remember a few years ago I was with someone that I truly don't like that much. I'm just gonna say it, ladies. Uh, I don't think there's ever room in Southern women's culture to just say you don't like somebody. Just don't. And what I mean by that is not that I don't love them. It's just that I don't like them. We don't have a lot in common. We don't see things the same. It seems like everything ends in an argument. There's never any common ground. Anybody? You don't have to. If they're sitting next to you, you don't have to nod. I can see it. I can see it in your eyes. It's okay. Just talk to me with your eyes. I just keep smiling because that's what women, Southern women do. Oh, yes. Oh, I know. Bless her heart. So I got a woman I don't like, and when there's all kinds of reasons, and I just am like, and, and then all of a sudden, I'm in this conversation with this woman, and it's like something is happening in me. 
and I am feeling this affection for this person and this compassion out of nowhere. And I literally am having an out-of-body experience and I'm like, Nicole, what's happening? You don't like this person. And it's like, Jesus is like, I know, but I'm in you and I'm greater than you. And I'm like, all right, Jesus, take the wheel. I mean, it was like, I, because I often think that what we think about living with Jesus is that we're just going to start doing better and being better. And he's kind of next to you. He's sort of like somewhere between a coach and like a, a micromanager. And he's just watching your every move and saying, that wasn't right. You didn't do that right. Do that better. Do that. And Jesus is like, that's not how I work. I'm going to take you right over. I'm going to change you from the inside out. You're going to be doing the same thing that you did before, and you're going to be feeling different about it. And you're going to be like, what is happening in me? That's what it means to be transformed. What a terrible idea and word picture that Jesus would be standing next to you managing your every move. When he says, I come to dwell in you. I make my home with you. I'm going to love you into a new way of living. You're not even going to know what's happening. Romans 12 says, Romans 12 too, says, do not conform anymore to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To be transformed is a passive verb. It doesn't say get transformed, work into being transformed. It actually says to be, just allow it to happen. As your mind is renewed in Christ, it's allowing it to happen. He is doing a work in you. He is going to love you in to a new way of living. If you need courage this morning, courage to believe your sins are forgiven, courage to believe that your faith has healed you, courage to believe that Jesus is present next to you who says, don't be afraid, it's me. Encourage to believe that you can live victoriously because Christ said, take courage, I've overcome the world, and you're with me. So you've overcome the world because you're with me. If you need courage to believe that, I want to tell you what you're going to be brave enough to do this morning. You're going to have to be brave enough for this. The thing that we've got to be brave enough to do is actually follow Jesus. If you're going to be brave enough to follow him, and here's what I mean by that. Listen to Matthew 5. This is the message version, verse 1. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is where Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. You guys are familiar with that, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's where Jesus basically says, hey, uh, I'm the king, and this is my kingdom, and this is how we're going to live in the kingdom. But who heard what Jesus actually taught? the ones who climbed with him, the committed. He said, I'm gonna move up this way, and a crowd came with him, but the crowd who came was committed to him. You should look like you were following someone. You ever try to follow anyone? I was in an airport uh, a few months ago, and it was the Charlotte airport. Have you guys been to the Charlotte airport? That's probably a close airport for you. Okay, the Charlotte airport is like about 12 miles long. I don't know if you've recognized that. They put like five rocking chairs in that 12 miles, uh, just in case you need to take a, take a load off while you're running the 12 miles between gates. So I was late on my plane, so my next plane was um, going to be, it was like 15 minutes, and I needed to get three concourses there, and I'm like, I love a challenge. So I'm like, yes, I will. And I, I don't remember if I hit heels on or not, but I'm, I, I do the normal thing where you sort of walk with your suitcase, but you start walking faster. And then finally I just gave up, and I was like, all right, here we go. So I'm going to run. I'm just in a full sprint. I'm like, I'm going to dodge. I'm going to weave. I'm going to get, because I am getting home to my children. I am going to get on that airplane. So I am running, just running through the airport, dragging my one carry-on. I got a bag. I'm running. And I get to this point where it, it goes like this, and two different concourses go. And I turn to the right to keep running, and all of a sudden a guy behind me goes, thanks, and he runs the other way. He he had been drafting me the whole time. 
he was, he was right behind me. And as I was dodging, I did not know that he was there. And I thought to myself, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. You gotta follow someone. I mean, I was dodging and weaving. I was in and out. They got the beep, beep, beep. I'm going around that thing. People in wheelchairs, people going to Disney World. They're not in a rush. They got their four kids with them. And I'm just trying to get to my airplane. So I'm thinking, what a picture, because it takes a lot of focus to follow someone. You got, they slow down, they speed up, they dodge, they weave. Are you following Jesus with that kind of focus? It's not the kind of thing that you can just do on a Sunday. I mean, on Sunday, you can hear from your pastor, and I know by lunchtime, you just can't remember exactly what he said. You thought that you liked it. It seemed pretty good. That's not going to get you there. That's not going to get you there. You want to be created, you want to be God's masterpiece, you want to feel that. You want a Philippians 3.16, let us live up to what we have already attained. You want to live up to that and feel those feelings and experience the joy and the peace and the purpose for your life where God is actively working in your life, transforming you from the inside out, using you for his purposes. It's not going to be enough on Sunday. you got to focus on following Jesus each and every day, like Jesus, I got my eyes on you, I'm behind you, I'm gonna go your speed, I'm gonna go behind you, what do you have to say to me today? Sometimes I just think we just have taken our eye off the ball that following someone is actually pretty hard. It takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of focus. We gotta get up every morning thinking today's a day that I wanna be in Christ, so I'm gonna be following him. So I gotta be ready to hear from him. I gotta be ready to receive him. I think that's all I wanna say right now but I probably should say something inspirational at the end, so I will. Okay, oh good, here it is, I found it. Um, grace, so grace is the key to courage. That's the whole point. Grace is the key to courage. And we could say a whole lot more about grace. I wrote a whole book about it. it it's called Brave Enough, which makes you think it's about courage, but it's actually about grace. Because I think grace gives us courage when we actually are experiencing the grace that we're talking about today. Because everything that Jesus said about courage was actually about grace. He said, it's my grace that forgives your sins. It's my grace that heals you. It's my grace that allows you to be with me and in my presence. And it's my grace that lets you live victoriously. So what I discovered along the way is that courage needs grace. Key, grace is the key to the whole thing. The way we actually live into courage is by living in grace. That's where the action is. So grace is our key. And we're going to talk in the next session, we're going to take a little break, and then in the next session we're going to talk about how that looks when you really live it out. So I want to close with just this short line uh, from the book about the difference between fear and grace. And I hope you guys will receive this. It's been so encouraging to my own life, and I come back to it all the time so I can say, what am I hearing in here? Who am I listening to? It says, fear keeps us stuck. Grace whispers freedom. Fear makes us suspicious Grace makes us generous. Fear shouts doubt. Grace sings peace. Fear murmurs, look out for yourself. Grace whispers, you are not alone. Fear shouts, you'll never make it. Grace replies, you already have. Fear screams that God is against you, but grace laughs because love always wins. Let's pray. Let's pray together, ladies. Father in heaven, um, particularly for those who came at the last minute this morning, Lord, I believe that you made an appointment with each and every one of us, and that you've drawn us here because you've got something special 
for each of us, whether it's a place that we have just needed encouragement. Father, for places that we've just been really bound up, things have gotten really tight, and you just want to unwind those, Lord, and set us free. For those of us who, who, who just really know, uh, we've been smiling and really, really good at keeping it together on the outside, but feeling really broken on the inside, really far from you, angry, feeling a lot of resentment and some unforgiveness, Lord, places that we've been holding on to some stuff, and we're actually a little bit scared to let it all go because we don't know what you're going to do with it. Lord, some of us came here this morning because we love this place, we love this church, we love worship. Father, I pray that you would strengthen those women in their inner being right now, particularly those are the ones that you're saying, I've got work for you to do. I pray that you would give them that word this morning of what you've got for them to do, what mountain you want them to move, whatever they're praying for in their heart, in their relationships, in their families, in their kids, in their finances, Lord, wherever that place is. So, Lord, as we take this break, Father, and we come back to worship, we pray that we might lift our hearts in a new way, that you might give us clarity of seeing and experiencing you as we continue to walk with you through your word. In your name we pray. Amen.